Greetings to each one here this evening. It's a blessing to see you all here tonight. I'm not sure what you're expecting, (laughs) but um, I do have a message on my heart, and I'd like to share it here tonight. I uh, am just thankful for the the word that we've had this morning already. It's just been such a blessing pondering over those principles of exhorting one another daily and and just the other thing of Brother Elvin's message of looking forward to that time when life here on earth is over and uh, and we are with the Lord forever. <clears throat> Tonight, I would like to uh, to speak on a subject that has been on my heart for quite some time. Back in the back in the summer, the um, the church there at Carrier Mills, Illinois, where my brother is is a pastor there, they had a a seminar from Anabaptist Financial or Anabaptist Foundation came in there and did a. Uh, a couple seminars on on financing and um, just business success and failures and just all kinds of business things and and uh, my brother John had of course he'd shared a lot of that stuff with me when we visited there and and uh, I was pretty excited and I I think it's something that would uh, I would love to sit in one of those seminars at some point in time myself. And just him sharing those things and looking back over my life just uh, really sparked some, kind of got the gears rolling. And uh, I would like to tonight talk about success some. But before we get into that, <clears throat> I'd like for to read a few verses here. You don't have to turn to them. I just have them copied out of my Bible. And it's in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. <clears throat> to kind of bring a little balance to the to the uh, subject tonight. And it says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And those are some sobering things that we need to ponder as we think about just this, the thing of business and success and money and and uh, earthly life. These things are all real and they're all an important part of our lives. But I think they need to be kept in subjection to this very principle that that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price and everything that we have is not really ours, but we are only caretakers of it. And 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. And the verses go on that talks about, and he that would be rich, fall into temptations and snares. And and then the next verse is talking about the love of money being the root of all evil. 
And I think those things are real and we need to understand them and and, uh, need to ponder them deeply as we think about success and business and, and all of those things. But in light of that, we are here on earth for a purpose. And it's not, it's not by happen chance. It's not just by, by luck or by fate that God has placed in your hand and mine something to do while we're here. And it's his great pleasure that we labor with those things, those talents that he has given us. And it brings him honor and glory as we, as we handle those things carefully in the right light. Not that we, we do it to get rich on our own, but if we can increase riches for him, then it could be a great blessing. And I think we need to, um, to kind of, I'd like to just overshadow this message with those thoughts. Okay, success. What is success? Success is an accomplishing, it's accomplishing an aim or goal. Okay, you have an aim or a goal. And you set it out here in front of you. And when you meet that goal, that is success. And many young men, most young men, as, and young sisters too, but as we, mostly young men, as we grow up and we become a man, we have all these high and lofty goals and ambitions out there. We want to be this and we want to do this with our life. And that's all right and good. Those are God-given ambitions and instincts and talents that he has given you. And for some, it's to be a carpenter. And others, it's to be a farmer. And others, it's to, to do whatever. And, and I think we need to recognize that those things are gifts from God that he bestows upon you as talents that he has dealt out into your hand. And as we meet those goals in our, in our day and time, we call that success. You have been successful. Uh, your goal was to, to have 100 acres, and, and then you have 100 acres. You are successful to that goal. I think we all understand that. We all have goals in life, and some of us have greater goals than others. Some of us have goals to be way more than other people, and some of us um, are, are happier with less goals and, and less achievements, but we all have goals, and none of us want to just fail at our goals, nor do we want to see our children fail. You know, as our children grow up and we help them to, to do what, you know, and to inspire to their goals and whatever, um, it hurts our hearts to see our children stumble and fall. It's just like when your little child takes his first steps and he, he almost can make it and then he falls down and you just, you leap to his aid. You want to help him up and, and you want to help him walk. It's, you know, and it's the same way with our children as they, they launch out into business and you see them faltering. You see them failing and you say, you know, what can we do to help? We, we are here. We don't want to see our children fail. <clears throat> also, we have to remember that success has many layers. And what I mean by that is our lives have, have many aspects. And you may be extremely successful on one layer, 
and you might feel like you have gained success, but when you look around, you have the next layer, maybe you missed it. And you're not successful all the way through. Even though you are extremely successful in this area, in this area over here, all of a sudden you're lacking because you put too much emphasis over here and one day you wake up to the fact that you've sadly missed it on this side or even on the third layer, maybe your children or your grandchildren, it shows up over there that, oh, I neglected something over here to be successful over here. And then in the light of that whole thing, you wonder, was I really successful? I know that <clears throat> I, I knew a man one time that it was in the concrete business and he was very successful in the concrete business and he worked in the plant some and then of course he was in management and whatever. But there was something about the chemical in concrete that affected his eyes and his eyes were extremely infected. He could barely see. See the price he paid for being successful in what he loved doing but it almost cost him his eyesight because of the the chemical. Somehow he was exposed to the chemical too much. I had another friend that uh, his father was a coal miner. Back in the in Kentucky, back in the days when there were a lot of underground mines, and uh, Mr. Hopper died at a very young age of what they call black lung because he was successful as a coal miner but it cost him his life at about 45 years old. And his children grew up without a dad because him being successful on one layer, he lost it on another layer and it was his health. So I think we need to reckon with those things that, you know, there's people that are extremely successful in business and things and they pour their whole heart into that, but they they miss it spiritually or maybe emotionally with their family, their relationships with their family or their children. Then one day they wake up and no one wants to be around them because all they can think of is their career and their success, but they're driven because they want to succeed. So be careful with just looking at success on one level. Remember that success has many layers. And uh, as you launch out into business or even in your family or whatever, remember that you need to be careful on every front. I also believe that our lives, our spiritual lives, are connected with our physical lives. And what we do with one affects the other. If we're not careful, we can be successful in something that affects us spiritually. On the other hand is, if we are successfully spiritually, it also affects us how careful we look at things. And there's tremendous benefits sometimes in our physical life because of how successful we are in our spiritual life it brings dividends and benefits into our physical life. And so 
as much as it is a danger to, to get the reverse true, the blessings can be tremendous if we seek first the kingdom of God and then these things shall all be added unto you. And I think that's one of the great pitfalls in life and in business. Sometimes we get those things turned around and we seek first. Seek first our great ambitions of fame and fortune and our spiritual lives kind of get a second chance at us when we're young. And and that's a danger, danger that many young men fall into. I reject the idea that we should be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. Have you ever heard that? I've had people say, oh, I'm so heavenly minded. I'm just no earthly good anymore. I might as well just, you know, all I can think about is heaven and and going there. And I'm just, I'm just so good. I mean, I'm just so heavenly minded that I just, I just don't fit in around with you all anymore. I reject that idea. That is not God's way. Being in tune with God should and will make us more useful here on earth, accomplishing the will of God here and now. Being in tune with God, being seeking him first, being in tune with God and, and operating with God will make us far more successful than if we do it on our own. But it will also give us a purpose for our physical lives. God put us here on earth for a purpose, not just to fill up time and space. You are not here. You are not born the year you were born. You are not here on earth just to take up, play, take up space just to eat the good of what other people do. You are you were put here on earth to fulfill a great purpose that God has only for you. And no one else can fill that. <clears throat> Getting back to the Anabaptist Foundation seminar. One of the one of the great things that they that they um Strongly, how would I say, one of their strong points is is that is to try to to help people understand that you know we do deal with money and we do make money and we do have money and we do business. We are occupying until the Lord returns, but it's it's under the umbrella that it it really is not ours. We are only stewards. And the other thing is, is that you, your occupation, your business, your success is much greater than you. It is a gift that God has given to you to operate and to have and to hold, but it, your occupation, your success your business, your life, your your organization, whatever God puts in your hand is a gift from God that is for the is the good of mankind, not just for Elvin Martin or 
or Joshua Showalter. It is for the good of the human race. And Brother Darrell, that farm that you own or operate is there to feed, help feed future generations that will be hungry for things to eat. In other words, it's not just for you to have and to hold and to consume upon yourself, but it's, it's there for the good of the human race. And it is your responsibility to work with that, but it's also your responsibility to gently, sufficiently, and successfully pass that on to the next generation. And they say, we have, as Anabaptist people, we have become very successful in business on the first level. But where we lack a lot and where they see a lot of people failing and miserably missing the point is is when this gift that God gave you is passed on to the next generation and you pass on from the scene and then it stumbles and falls. And they are out to try to help that successfully make the transition from generation to generation to generation. Does it make any sense? And I found that to be very, very intriguing, very, very enlightening because that everything that we have it kind of puts a new light on it because it's it, it it takes the ownership from you to in other words you own it and it's your responsibility with it while you have it but you're not going to keep it <laughs> you're not taking it with you and it's God would have that your descendants would carry on the same vision that you had with it. Anyway, just as a side note there, I found that to be very intriguing. I have a few points here that successful people, these are a few traits that successful people have. And one is that successful people have good habits. If you want to be successful, cultivate good habits. Simple enough. If you want to fail in business, if you want to stumble and cripple your success, cultivate bad habits. Real simple. Think about how many people that you know that are extremely successful in their business. And they just sleep in till 10 o'clock whenever they want to. They just waste money left and right. They just smoke cigarettes and drink whatever they want. They, they misuse their body. They party it up. They whatever, I don't, just bad habits in general. Success is very fleeting for those kind of people. But look at the people that you know in your life and people that you have known that are extremely successful and you study their habits. They're disciplined. They get out of bed in the morning 
at a certain time. They don't waste money on things that are harmful to their body. They don't do many other things that that society around us does freely. But successful people have good habits. I'm going to write that on the board. There's about... Whoops. One of my bad habits is not knowing how to spell. Number two is they have focus. They set goals. They have a vision of where they are going, how they will get there, when they will arrive. They set themselves goals. They set themselves deadlines. Just like you came to church tonight. You had a goal. You're going to come to church. You're going to be here before 7 o'clock. Most of us hit that goal right on the money. And that's good. That's a good habit to discipline ourselves to know when we're going somewhere, when we're getting there, how long we're going to stay. Focus. Focus is something that is is extremely important. And also, the thing about focus is, is you focus on one or two things. You don't focus on 15 or 20 things at one time. You focus on one thing or two things, and you set small goals that are achievable, and you achieve them one by one. I've, I've done this myself. I've set so many goals... And I've set them so high and lofty and so far out in the future that I don't even know when I hit them. You ever ever done that? And I think setting smaller goals that that are easily acquired. And another thing is as you focus, you hit this goal. And there's nothing in the world just going into your journal and writing it down. On January the 1st, I did this. Period. Six months from now, you can look back and say, you know what, I set that goal in August, and on January the 1st, I hit it. And it motivates you to set another goal. Benjamin Franklin made this quote one time, never confuse motion with action. Just because something's moving and making a lot of noise, it's not 
It may not be getting you where you want to go. It may not be the action that takes you from point A to point B. You may just be making noise and making motion. Never confuse motion with action. I like that. I thought that was really good. And three is... And this should have probably been at the top. But it's confidence, faith in God. Faith in God gives you the confidence that God will help you accomplish this goal. If you go through life doubting that you can make it, you probably won't. Oh, I don't know if I can. This mountain looks so high. The valley is so deep. Oh, I'm scared. I don't know if I can make this. And if you cultivate those thoughts, you probably won't hit your goal and you won't be successful. But if you if face your goals with faith in God and, and you ask God to help you and you know that God will see you through this thing, you have confidence in God and confidence builds confidence in yourself. One of the one of the biggest uh, motivators in the scriptures for that is by faith Noah built an ark, and it has never rained. It has never been a flood, and God tells him to build this big boat, and it's so gigantic, however you say it, that he's never seen a building that big. He's never built a structure that had to float on water. It just was not his concept. But you know what? God told him to do it. And he said yes. And he did it. Because he had faith in God. By faith Noah built the ark. And it's the same way with you. As you feel God prompting you. To set this goal. And accomplish this work. And to do this thing. And you set that goal. You have a, you've, have a long line of achieved goals and you've, you've come up to this hard one and you just get on your knees and you say, God, by faith, I'm going to do this. If you help me, we can do this. And that will give you confidence in yourself and you can wake up in the morning with energy and attack that thing and accomplish it and be successful. Faith in God. <clears throat> Number four is they are learning. Learning, reading, listening, asking questions. They're not afraid to go to someone else that has accomplished this great goal and say, how did you do it, brother? Can you tell me how you did it? Keep a journal. Elvin said he'd do it like this. Earl, what do you say? And then you read that and you, and you read books on the subject and you got your ears open and you listen and you're, and you're asking questions and you're learning. But there's a danger in that. And it's, there's a big long word for it. But anyhow, it's basically just you can become paralyzed analyzing the situation. 
If you analyze and 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 another year goes by and you're still analyzing and you're still asking questions and you're still reading up on the subject and watching YouTube videos, you're never going to get anywhere. Success also comes from analyzing, but then doing. I know there was a time when we lived in Tennessee and I... I took a great interest in, we were in the greenhouse business at the time, and I really wanted to get into the tissue culture, of, uh, and I wanted to start a tissue culture lab. And, and as I talked about it, and I talked about it, and I watched YouTube videos on the subject till everybody hated the subject at our house. And you know what? I never got it done. I never, ever got it done. But boy, I could tell you how, because I know all about it. And I've studied up on it and I've read every book that I can find on the subject. Maybe one day I'll still have a tissue culture lab, but it's probably not practical anymore. And I probably will never use that, but I could have used it tremendously in our business if I'd have had one. And basically, in short, what tissue culture is, they take a small culture of any kind of plant and and you culture that and grow it in a lab dish and then you divide it. In, in a certain amount of weeks, you divide it 10 times in 10 pieces, and then you take those 10 pieces and divide it each one of those 10 times, and then each one of those 10 times. And it don't take a math, uh, a math whiz to figure out that in a couple months, you've got thousands and thousands of these little pieces growing in your tissue culture lab, and each one of those is identical cultured after the mother plant, and you can grow perfectly matched flower habitat, flower color, and everything of this home plant, you can make 10,000 of them in no time at all, and they are 100% perfectly matched to the parent plant. And it's an awesome concept. And uh, it's a great idea for any grower but I, I know all about it, but I never did it because I, I got paralyzed analyzing the thing somehow. Don't fall into that. <clears throat> they call it uh, paralysis analysis, I think, or something like that. There's a danger there. Don't go there. If you want to do something, learn about it, but then get started, and there's no greater teacher on the subject and no greater way to to hit success than by actual hands-on doing. And And the reason that most people, and I, for one, was paralyzed analyzing this subject is because I didn't dare fail. And number five is they are not afraid to fail. Not afraid to fail. I'm not talking about failing and giving up. I'm talking about like Proverbs says that the righteous man falls seven times and he gets back up again and he goes on. Failure is not defeat unless you let it defeat you. Failure can be a prime helper to success 
if you allow that failure to to help you turn your course just a few degrees, but if you allow failure to discourage you, failure can destroy you. And that is one of the things I think that I faced in my business life is, you know, when something didn't work out right, I'm like, wow, this don't work. Let's never do this again. But failure sometimes even is God's way to test you. Are you really into this thing? And maybe you didn't quite get it right, but after three or four times of that, all of a sudden there's success comes out. One of the one of the biggest examples of that is is our light bulbs. Any of you that have studied history know that Edison and Franklin, together between the two of them, failed literally thousands of times trying to invent a light bulb that actually comes on and makes light and doesn't destroy itself in the process. They tried and they tried and they tried. But you know what? After thousands of failures one day, the light come on. And we have them to thank for our light bulbs. Just the concept that energy can be turned into light efficiently. Don't be afraid to fail. Most people are afraid to fail because of pride. They They cannot admit that they made a mistake. They cannot admit that they failed. They can't admit it. So you just cannot fail because it would make me look bad if I failed. You understand what I'm saying? And that's just simply pride. Pride hinders so much success. Get rid of pride. Be willing to fail, but then get up and go again. Don't let defeat conquer your passion. Go give it another try. Just change a little bit, but do it again. The horse bucks you off. Go ride him again. If you don't, right away, you might not have the nerve to do it tomorrow. But don't, don't be defeated. The just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. There was a man by the name of Harlan Sanders, and I'm sure you, uh, you probably recognize the name. He was the founder of the Kentucky Fried Chicken chain. But at 65 years old, he, he had a felling station and a cafe and a, uh, another little store, whatever, there in Corbin, Kentucky. And they changed the interstate. They rerouted the highway. And so now the highway no longer came through Corbin, but it went kind of out around. The main traffic kind of all went over there. And all of a sudden, he was out of traffic, which means he didn't sell any gas hardly, and he didn't sell. He had a little cafe there where he was cooking chicken, and he had had perfected some really good recipes for chicken, but all of a sudden, he didn't hardly have any customers. And because of his debt and whatever he had to sell out, And at the age of 65, Harlan Sanders was almost penniless and he was almost defeated. And all he had, he had a social security check coming in for $105 a month and that was all he had left. 
from his filling station cafe industry that he had that all of a sudden crumbled at his feet and he was almost defeated. So as the story goes, he borrowed against his next month's check. He got somebody to give him his his money up front so that he could take it and he went and bought a bunch of chicken. And he seasoned it with his seasonings and he went door to door peddling chicken dinners. And he took it to different restaurants and he kept trying and trying to sell this chicken. <clears throat> ten years later, ten, less than ten years later, he sold out for $2 million. And this was back in the 60s. They said that $2 million then would have been about like $16 million today. And what he did was he, he got, he got uh, restaurants to, to buy into his franchise for his chicken seasonings and his chicken, his way of making chicken. And they didn't have to buy that. They only paid him four cents a chicken for every one that they sold in their restaurants. They could have Kentucky Fried Chicken. So in 19, by the time he was 74 years old, he had 900 restaurants in the U.S., Canada, Japan, and England selling Kentucky Fried Chicken with his seasoning. And they were getting old, so he decides he's going to sell out. He sold out to some interested party, bought him out for $2 million nine years after he was busted and broke and had $105 a month coming in for his Social Security check. <clears throat> so my point is you're never too late for success. It might be when you're older. It might be when you're younger. But he was diligent. I'm sure he made mistakes. I'm, I don't even know what his life was like spiritually, but he took what he had in his hand and what he could get his hand on, and he did with what he knew that he was good at, and somehow he became a millionaire before he died at 90 years old. Then <clears throat> <clears throat> the majority of his income was at four cents a chicken. <laughs> It was just a little bit, but he did a little bit a lot. And so, of course, then when they bought him out, he got quite a bit of money there. <clears throat> but somehow along the line, when he sold out, others changed his recipe. And it made him so upset that they just basically wanted his name. And then they used their own recipe. They didn't even follow his carefully analyzed turmeric and whatever he put on his chicken. They designed their own recipe and took his business model and made KFC out of it. He was so upset at that that him and his wife, even though they were in their mid-70s, started up another, another chicken restaurant there in the area. And they, they say that uh, that's the only place today yet that you can buy the real, original, authentic 
Sanders Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'd like to go there and taste that sometime. But anyway, enough about the chicken. But successful people also, they have a plan to hand the business over to the next generation because they realize that this is bigger than me. This is not just God's gift to me. It's God's gift to the human race. And so they, they have, a, have a plan in place to somehow hand the reins over to the next generation. The family farm is probably the easiest or the best example of that is when, when dad is farming and his boys grow up on the farm. But it can be in any occupation. Farming is not the only place that that works. It works in any occupation. But it only works if we have a vision for it and we make plans for it. <clears throat> and that's one of the things that uh, Anabaptist Foundation has a lot of good teaching on when to do this, how to bring the next generation in, how much to give them, how soon, and how soon to turn the reins over to them, and how much to, and how long should dad be involved in, and all of that, and on and on. And it's some really good teaching. I would, if if we wouldn't, if someday we could have that as a seminar here, I think it would be a real blessing. But we could also probably get that on tape if we really wanted to. <clears throat> but that's one of the signs of a successful business is if they have a they have a vision that this is greater than me. And somehow it needs to go on. This is God's gift to the human race. This is a gift that I need to pass on when I am no longer able to carry it. It is valuable because it comes from God. It is a gift from God. It's worth taking care of. It's This idea that God put in my brain was not me. I mean, I had my hand in it, but it, it comes from God and I need to be careful how I handle it. It's bigger than me. It's for the future generations. Most of these principles never entered my mind when I was a teenager with a great vision to build a furniture. I wish that I would have been able to set under one of those seminars from Anabaptist Foundation when I was 18 years old. I think if I would have been able to learn from that God only knows had I been able to hear that at that time. But I, looking back, I think that would have made an extreme amount of difference in my life in how that I did business and how that I handled money and how that I handled myself in those situations. <clears throat> By the time I was 18 years old, I had my own furniture shop. I had some business cards made. I was on my way to fame and fortune at a very young age. And I was probably younger than what I should have been. I think uh, my dad was a dairy farmer. Dad didn't really have any great interest in in the furniture industry as I did. But I I must say that mom and dad were probably my greatest motivators. I think they saw within me a, a gift 
that could be developed and could be valuable. And they knew that my heart was in it. So I think they, they made the choice to, uh, to be cheerleaders instead of trying to pour water on my vision. I remember those days, mom, I, I would be out in the shop working and, and mom would come walking through the shop and she, and she would look at something and she said, and you built that? And to a 17-year-old boy, that meant an awful lot to me. To think, to just to think that my mother, and mom made a lot of mistakes, and, and mom was very much human, but somehow mom had a way to inspire those things. And dad, the same way. Dad would come in, I remember just distinctively, just as clearly as if it happened yesterday. Dad come walking in the shop, and he, I was building something, and he said, you know what, son? Take pride in what you do. Do a good job. Take pride in that. There's nothing wrong with doing a good job. And he walks out. <clears throat> That's probably as close that dad could ever come to say, you know what, I'm proud of you, boy. You're doing a good job. That just wasn't part of his vocabulary. <clears throat> but I remember, and later I got married, had my own shop. At that time, I was still working in one of Dad's buildings there. Dad would buy nice tools at Sears and never use them. He'd put them in the shop. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just... Well, I had a nice table saw and a nice radio alarm saw and a nice lathe and a band saw and everything that an 18-year-old woodworker could ever want. <clears throat> I had a vision of what I wanted to do with my life. I, I, I could see very clearly what I wanted to accomplish. I did a good job. I had good tools. And later, I built a bigger shop. And I had work, I had so much work, I had to hire help to help, but I failed. I failed miserably. Why? I built a good product. I knew where I was going. I had an eye for detail. I was careful. I treated my customers well, but I failed. So why did I fail? <clears throat> Looking back, and I only share these things, I see a few flaws that crippled my business. And I only share them to help you as young men, as you are inspiring or growing up, and you're, you're launching out on your own, and you're doing something, you're starting your own business, you're, you're doing something with your life, you have visions and dreams, and you're going somewhere. And I don't want you to face... I don't want you to make those same mistakes that I made. It's the only reason that I share these things. And to my family, I'm sorry if you have to re re rehearse these things in your brain. <clears throat> but number one, I was very weak on records. I had no idea where I was going financially. I had no idea was very weak on records. I had no idea how to charge for my work. Had lots of work, made lots of motion, but I had very little action, controlled action. 
It wasn't that we ever ran out of work. Never. Never did I set my guys down and say, you know what, guys? There's nothing to sand today. There's nothing to cut. There's nothing to spray. There's nothing to do. We never had that problem. We always had lots and lots of work. But I was caught in this thing that I would, I would sell a job and I would take that money to operate on today. And then when we got to that job, we had to sell another job to pay for that one. You ever, get, you ever see that? That's a vicious cycle. And it wasn't that we weren't charging enough. Finally, Dad, one day in, in desperation, he said, boy, if you'd have, if, you know what? I think if you had just paid as you went, you could pay as you go. Why didn't you pay as you went instead of borrowing? And, and <clears throat> another day, another time, he said, you know what? You could have went to college and spent more money and learned less, so I guess you're doing good. <laughs> but in the end, I'm no longer in that business. <clears throat> Number two mistake that I think I made was I really didn't care too much for advice. I mean, I, I could take advice if it agreed with me, but I knew where I was going. I, I knew what I wanted to do, and I pretty good. I was pretty confident. I was pretty smart, and if I would have asked more questions, I might have got some different answers that would have helped me through this curve. I was very successful when I worked by myself and was in a small shop. But to get from that level to running 10 people in a shop, we had a, it was a tremendous, I took a really steep climb. And I think that was one of the things that, that really hurt me was that I couldn't get, I, I had to get there so quick. My, my goals were too lofty. If I would have set goals and I would have spread my growth out over five years, I'm pretty sure I would have made it. But I wanted to be up here and I wanted to be there now. And I really didn't care for anybody to tell me to slow down and not go there now. You know, just take your time and get there slowly. That No, that just wasn't my way of doing it. I mean, I... And the other thing is I didn't embrace failure and setbacks as learning blocks. If something didn't work out, I was really quick to say, well, okay, we're done with that. We're not going there again. Let's try something else. That ain't working. We're just not doing that. We're just not going there. Within four or five years, <clears throat> I took the business and I changed direction pretty drastically for two or three times. We were in this for a while and then in this for a while and then we did this for a while. And so instead of that, I should have, looking back, I think if I would have just just said, okay, this failure is for my good. What can I learn here? Let's change it a little bit and keep going in this same vision and direction. <clears throat> I didn't see the business as a gift from God. I didn't see this. I, this is just me. This is all about me and where I want to go. I did not have a, a real 
total sense that this was a gift from God and that I'm only gently carrying it. I had more of the idea that this is my business and it's not your business what I do with it. And I know what I'm doing and I'm going here and I'm going to get there no matter what. And I made my family suffer for that. You could ask any of my family and they would say, yeah, that's just the way dad was. You know, he had this idea and just he just is, he sees success in one layer, but you don't look at the other layers, you know. <clears throat> and finally, <clears throat> I think I just burned out. I finally just gave it up. And the other thing is that that did play into that is the the church there was struggling a lot there in the Amish church and we wanted out. We We were pretty well through with the Amish system and so we needed to leave. And so it was easy to walk away from the business because we were leaving anyway. Although by then we were actually in the millwork end of it more and we were no longer building kitchens and furniture. Um... We were then known as Kenwood Milling, which was about um, three notches down the line. But uh, we had ended up in the cabinet business while we were in the kitchen business. We had a, somehow we had bought a forehead molder and we started making architectural millwork for a company in Florida. And that was extremely extremely profitable, and that pulled us out of debt, got us back on our feet. But then we were wanting to leave the Amish, and so we left, and I kept interest in the company for another three or four years until that kind of started making some strife and relationships and whatever, and then finally we sold out. But that company today is thriving and doing well. We sold to two Amish guys there in the area, and um, the one has since kind of retired and turned his share over to his son. And the other one is uh, priming his son for that. His son just got married. Thanksgiving, when we were down there to visit mom, <clears throat> I walked into the shop and, uh, yeah, I could almost have uh, had belly ache. <laughs> they... Um, I've upgraded almost all of our old equipment. They just put in a brand new winding six-head molder that um, it's not quite like buying a combine, but it gets close if <laughs> you do it a few times. But uh, it's really nice, really nice machines. <clears throat> but it's not mine. And God had given that gift into my hand at one time. And I let it fly away before I ever really tasted the success. And those are some of the things that I would really like to help us understand, especially our young men that are, are launching out into life and you're now on your own or you're thinking about starting a business or whatever. And there's great things ahead of you. You have a great future ahead of you. And um, God has 
God has a lot in store for each one of you. And I want you to, I want you to succeed. I want you to be successful. I don't want you to fail. Nor do I want you to, to go down the roller coaster ride that I went when I was your age. And I guess that's one of the reasons that I share this partly. And the other reason is that I'd like to bring this up about the Anabaptist Foundation. I think it is something that would be extremely valuable for us as a church to look into at some point in time to maybe either attend one of those seminars if they're close by or even have one here. They will come in and and put on the seminar. And then another service that they have is as there's businesses that are established, they will give you a mentor and he will come in and will open your books and go over things with you and help you to channel everything kind of the right direction. Even coaching you as you get older and as you get prepared to, to hand this over to the next generation, there's a lot of coaching. And obviously some of that comes with a price, but they, they do that and do that well. And I think that's, that's some things that I, I think we would have, ourselves would have highly benefited from if we could have had that sometime. The, uh, the Anabaptist financial, <clears throat> there's, that's the, the loan end of it. The Anabaptist foundation is more of the teaching seminar part of it. And then there's another leg to their organization too. I'm not sure exactly. I was on their website tonight, so I'm looking at that. But um, some very good brothers. Very, very um, solid brothers, conservative type brothers that really care about how we handle the gifts that God has put into our hand. Also, the other thing is that I would like to add at this point is even though you may not be launching out into business on your own, you are, even if you are working for someone you are still building. You are a part of the team. And it is your responsibility to, to act like you're a part of the team. In other words, God may have given the responsibility to, to spearhead the gift to another brother, and he's given you the responsibility to be the helper to make sure that that succeeds. And I think sometimes we we uh, kind of get that mixed up a little bit. We say, oh, you know, I wish I was the boss. Uh, yeah, why can't it be me that's got, you know, that responsibility? I think God sees and understands where we are emotionally and where we are physically and cap- how capable we are. And that's one of the reasons that God puts us in different positions of different levels of authority. But I think we need to remember that we are all labors together with God. No matter where God has put you, no matter where God has put me, we are all a part of this this great plan. And I think God would, would love if we could succeed and give him honor and glory and praise for that. 
<clears throat> well, I hope I have uh, kind of whetted your appetite a little bit on success. I don't wish failure on anyone. I want us all to succeed for the Lord Jesus. May God bless you.